Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett coming to you on the Thursday broadcast. Thank you so much for listening. I am so excited about what God is doing. Now, I want to begin the broadcast just bragging about what Jesus is doing. Now, you may be listening to me today and you say, man, it seems like the Christian faith is under a lot of attack, especially here in America. It feels like the church is not growing. I want you to know that every day the Church of Jesus Christ is growing. Just this past weekend at Hickory Ridge Community Church, eight people prayed to receive Christ. In other words, eight people said yes to the gospel, yes to Jesus. We had four at a funeral. One of our members passed away, and she was a great woman of God. She loved the Lord. And uh, and some of the people that came to that service heard the gospel, some of them for the very first time, and they were saved. And then the next day at our worship services, we had another uh, four people pray to receive Christ. And I tell you what, it just amazes me that people are still responding to the gospel. I also want you to know that we had 60 names that were texted to me during our worship services. 60 names of people that are not saved, that our people are praying for their salvation. Now I want you to know something about the power of prayer. I discovered something about people getting saved. One is, the more I pray for people to get saved, the more they get saved, because the more I pray for people to get saved, the more I share my faith. And the more I share my faith, the more people get saved. Now listen, I know we can have all kinds of arguments. Well, are they part of the elect? Are they not part of the elect? And uh, I like what one preacher of yesterday used to say, I wish God put a yellow stripe on the back of everybody who was called part of the elect, because I'd go after them. But since God didn't do that, I'm going to assume that everybody's elect and God's not willing that any should perish. And I'm going to share the gospel wherever I go. And whenever I get a platform to share the gospel, I'm going to share the gospel. I remember a mentor of mine many years ago said, I would preach the gospel in hell if I could, if I was promised I'd be let out when I get done. Listen, the gospel needs to be proclaimed. Yes, we need to live out the gospel, no doubt about it. But we also need to proclaim the message of Christ. So I'm praying that today somebody's going to get saved as they listen to the broadcast. I'm praying for you as you listen today that if somebody that you love, that you'll pray for them. As a matter of fact, would you allow us to pray for that person also? I'm going to give you my personal cell phone for the purpose of you sending me a name of somebody that you want me to pray for. Now listen, you're going to send me a text and and I don't know who you are. I just see a name show up in my text message. I know when I get a name coming across my text messages that that's the name of somebody that you want us to pray for and pray for their salvation. I will add them to the 60 plus names that we have already on our list and we will pray for that person by name. We're going to pray believing that God's not willing that any should perish and we will pray. Listen, living the Christian life is amazing, right? Uh, You think about all that Christ has done for us. You know, a few years ago, I was invited to go to the Norfolk Admirals game, and uh, I had such a great time. Now, I didn't know that uh, when I got invited to this game, that I was going to be put into a corporate box. Uh, That's right. And I didn't even know that the Admirals had these corporate boxes, Uh, but I uh, had a friend who won these tickets, and so we went to this game, and uh, there was about, I guess, 10 of us, and we were sitting there in the box, and we're listening to the game, watching the game, and and uh, we're having a great time, and uh, you know, each box seat came with something that I didn't know when I first got there. When I got sitting in that box seat, I was told that because I am sitting in that box seat, because I have that ticket, I am able to go to the Admiral's wardroom for that game. 
You say, what's the war room? The war room is where you have a private wait staff and they cover that box area that we were sitting. We get a special menu. We get a special uh, opportunity to have good food. And, and the best thing is this. I didn't have to pay for it. It was all inclusive. Now, I got thinking about that. Now, I almost hate to admit what I was doing, right? Now, now me being the tight Irishman that I am, I went to that game and I had previously, before going to that game, I went to the Dollar Tree. And I went and got me some Mike and Ikes. I love Mike and Ikes. I got me a big old box of Mike and Ikes. And I'm thinking, you know, the food at the Admirals games is going to be really expensive. So I'm going to bring my Mike and Ikes in there. And I'm going to eat my Mike and Ikes so I don't have to spend a whole lot of money on buying food. Well, I didn't know I had this all-exclusive ticket. And all the time I'd be over eating my Mike and Ikes, I could have been eating shrimp and Swedish meatballs and sandwiches and candy and mints and fruit and vegetables and coffee and tea and soda, all you could eat, all part of the box ticket. You know, I think about how many Christians live their lives. You know, they're walking around with that box of Mike and Ikes uh, that they snuck into their life that they didn't pay a whole lot for uh, because they don't understand the full potential of what God has for them. There was a guy who was uh, an Oklahoma property owner many years ago, and oil was discovered on his property. This man was an elderly man. He was an Indian, and he had lived all of his life poverty-stricken. He had just barely enough money to scrape out his living. But as they discovered the oil on his property, all of a sudden, this man, this elderly man, became a very wealthy man. Wait till the first thing that he bought was a very big Cadillac. He wanted the longest car in the county. And so he added four spare tires in the trunk, and then he would dress up in his new clothes, and every day he would take his Cadillac, and he'd go out into this hot, dusty little town nearby, and he wanted everyone to see his beautiful Cadillac. Now, this guy was a friendly guy, and so he would be riding through town, and he would turn in all directions and wave at all the people as he rolled by. Now, interestingly enough, he never ran into anybody nor into anything. The reason is that this man had in the front of this beautiful car, two horses harnessed to it, pulling it. Now, there's nothing wrong with the car's engine. It was because the old man had never learned how to drive it. He had never learned how to insert the key into the ignition and start it and turn it on. Under the hood, he had over a 100-plus horsepower engine that was ready and willing and roaring to go, but the old man was content to use two horses hooked up to the front of his car. Now, can you imagine what that looked like? Now, I think that's how a lot of Christians live their lives. We have this power that resides within us. Paul calls it the power of the gospel. And we are running around on two old horses, not able to tap into all that God has for us. You know, I think the devil gets really happy when we don't tap into the full power that God has I think he gets real happy to see us chugging along in our Christian life, half discouraged, half depressed. And I think that he just snickers up wherever he is, probably down in, in hell somewhere, or, or he's on, well, you know, throughout this earth on that leash that he has. But I think he snickers at us, and he says, look at these Christians walking around defeated and discouraged, and they're living their lives as if they're losers. Listen, we have the power of God living within us. Now, I want to look at the book of Ephesians today. And I want to just share a few things from the book of Ephesians. If we run out of time today, we'll finish this up tomorrow. But the book of Ephesians is such a powerful book. And let me give you kind of the background before we actually look into the book itself. You know, life in Ephesus 
was very much like life in America today. The city of Ephesus was a port city with a population at that time of about 350,000 people. Ephesus was a place where the East met the West. The city enjoyed Greek culture, but was governed by the Romans. People in the city lived a life of luxury, a life of extravagance. Now, immorality was running rampant in the city of Ephesus. In Paul's day, the biggest attraction to the city of Ephesus was the Temple of Diana, where the goddess Artemis allegedly descended from the sky and landed in the middle of this huge temple. Now, it just automatically happened, right? Well, worshipers would gather and they would perform the most immodest and the most immoral acts at this temple of Diana. As a matter of fact, this is what Paul says to the believers in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Paul wanted the Ephesian believers to know that when they came and followed Christ, their life was different. They were no longer living that lifestyle of immorality. Now, as you think about Ephesus, it's not exactly an easy place to start a church. Uh, Not the way most American churches get started, I guess you could say. But Paul, on his third missionary journey, he stops in Ephesus. And he stays for three years, and he builds a large and a thriving congregation. It is a church that is now sending out missionaries to other cities, Now, as you think about these other cities, some of these names you may recognize. Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Colossae, Laodicea. These are cities in which churches were planted off of the church of Ephesus. Now, how did these churches get started? Well, on his way home from his second missionary journey, as Paul stops in Ephesus, he spends some time with his friends Aquila and Priscilla, and he spends a little time at the synagogue making friendly contacts with the rabbis, and they're all impressed with Paul, and they ask him to stay. He declines and says, no, 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 I've got to get back to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, but I'll be back. On his third missionary journey, Paul goes to Ephesus, and the city is experiencing a spiritual awakening. The whole city is impacted. Not everybody's happy. Within the first three months, the Jewish leaders turn hostile toward Paul. So Paul quits and he goes back to Jerusalem. Well, well, no, no, that didn't happen. (laughs) No, Paul never quit. Uh, No, that left Paul even more determined. He was undaunted. He changes his focus of evangelism. He goes from the Jews to the Gentiles and the church grows. The spiritual awakening is so amazing that one day they decide to build a bonfire and they burn all of the magic and all the cult books are burned. In fact, Luke writes about this revival that started at the church of Ephesus. Acts chapter 19, verse 17. When this became known to the Jews' honor, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. And a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 coins of silver. That would be the equivalent of about $7 million today. In this way, the word of the Lord spread and grew in power. You see, now Paul, as he's in Ephesus, was thrown into prison, and he could have been ticked off, but he made a, he made a lot of inroads with people that were able to help him build the church, but he also made a lot of enemies. 
One powerful businessman became an enemy of Paul, a guy by the name of Demetrius. Now, I don't know if you know anybody whose name is Demetrius, but I've got a good friend who's part of our church. His name is Demetrius. And, uh, and so I want you to know that the Bible mentions the word of uh, the name Demetrius twice in the Bible. This first mention of Demetrius, he was a silversmith that really hated Paul. Why did he hate Paul? Because people were getting saved and his business was making idols for the temple at Diana. Now all these people are no longer buying uh, all these idols. And this guy's he's taking a hit. His business is hurting. There's another guy by the name of Demetrius, and this is the guy that the guy in my church is probably named after the second Demetrius, right? Uh, that second Demetrius is found in, in 3 John 1.12. It says that Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. So if you have a friend named Demetrius, I hope they're named after the Demetrius in 3 John, not the one in Acts 19. Well, anyway, revival breaks out. Revival was not good for this business of idol worship. Paul wanted to stay, but after only a, a few short months there, he goes off and he finishes up his third missionary journey. He ends up spending some time in a Roman prison. And I think that Paul spent so much time in prison that he had a thriving prison ministry. We learn from Acts chapter 20 that Paul, as he was traveling back to his home in Jerusalem, he stops in the city of Miletus. And there he is establishing a church, and he sends for a few more elders to help in that church that he started there. In two or three more days, Paul moves on, and he writes a letter to the elders of the church of Ephesus. Now, this letter that Paul wrote to the believers at Ephesus is actually a circular letter written to all the churches that they had started. It's a powerful, powerful letter. As a matter of fact, we could say that this letter could be written to us today. Now, the book of, Eph of Ephesians can be divided up into two major parts. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, we have the Christian and his blessings. That is the, the blessings that God gives to us so that we don't have to live our lives half-powered. We don't have to live our lives in confusion we have these blessings that come along with our salvation. That's chapters 1, 2, and 3. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, we could say, would be the Christian and his behavior. So let's talk about the riches that God has given to us first, and then we'll talk about the behavior that we should live in our lives. When I think about true riches, now if you're old like me, you may have remembered uh, what Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote, a song entitled, The Family of God. Here are the words. I'm part of the family, the family of God. He says, you will notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family and these folks are so near. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family, the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain cleansed by his blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side from part of the family, the family of God. So if you're part of the family, there's some major benefits that come to being part of the family of God. Again, for review, chapters one, two, and three talk about the blessings that God gives to us. Paul put it this way. This is a letter from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, to share those blessings with us. 
The second part of the book, chapters 4 through 6, talk about the behavior of the believers. Paul says, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace. As a matter of fact, that word grace appears 12 times in the book of Ephesians. Grace and peace. Paul says in verse number 3, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Wow, this is some good stuff. Well, let's look at this blessing that God gives us and Paul tells us about in the book of Ephesians. First of all, we are chosen. We are chosen to be recipients of God's riches. Paul says we are elect. Well, how do I know if I'm part of God's elect? Very simple. If you select Jesus alone as your Lord and Savior, you are part of the elect. This is what Paul is driving home to the church of Ephesus. You know, Paul was not the only one to echo this message of election. Peter also said this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9. Peter says, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're people for God's own possessions. You were chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Man, I'm so glad that I'm part of the family of God, that I don't have to wander around in darkness. I have been called into the family of light. You know, when that happens, it's called salvation. You know, God has a place for you in his family. God says he wants you as part of his family. John 7, 38 says, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. You see, God has a place for me in the family of God. God also has a position for us. In Paul's case, he was to be an apostle. You know, I want you to know that God is always hiring. God is always looking for help in his church. You may not be able to get a paycheck, but God wants you as part of his family because he has a position for you. When we think about this position that God has for us, it is a very special position. Now, don't worry about your qualifications because God will give you what you need to be qualified for the position that he calls you for. I love reading cover letters uh, of interesting people as they try to make a a, a plea to be hired, uh, looking for a job. and, And so you send out a cover letter on your resume. Here's what one cover letter said. Here are my qualifications for you to overlook. Isn't that funny? (laughs) Another person wrote on their cover letter, please call me after 5.30 because I am self-employed and my employer does not know I'm looking for another job. Now that kind of cracks you up when you think about it. Uh, Somebody else put on their cover letter, my goal is to be a meteorologist. But since I have no training in meteorology, I suppose I should just try to become a stockbroker. That was pretty good. Uh, Somebody else wrote on their cover letter, I demand a salary commensurate with my expensive experience. (laughs) Somebody else wrote in their resume, not in their cover letter, but in their resume, I was working for my mom until she decided to move. Somebody else wrote in their resume, marital status, single, unmarried, unengaged, uninvolved, and no commitments. Well, I don't know if I'm going to hire that person. Somebody else wrote in their resume, notes, please don't misconstrue my 14 jobs as job hopping. I have never quit one job. 
Somebody else wrote in their, re- their resume, marital status, often, children, various. And last, somebody wrote in their resume, reason for leaving my last job. Well, they insisted that all employees get to work by 8.45 every morning. I couldn't work under such difficult conditions. Well, those things are kind of funny when you think about them. But I want you to know that if you're available, God will give you everything you need to thrive in advancing the purpose that he has for your life. When you think about the blessings in our life, who gets the richest blessings in life? Matthew twenty-two fourteen, Jesus says, this is what I mean when I say many get invited, only few make it. Who gets the richest blessings in life? Those who receive it. Those who believe it. Those who get invited and receive and accept the invitation. Now, when you receive these blessings, you, just, you discover that there's some things that go along with it. One of the things about blessings is this. There are gifts that are given to us, but as we look at these gifts, they must be worked to maintain these gifts. I think about those that have that grit, that determination. You know, most of the successes I've had in my life is because I was dog determined to do it. I think that God will give you that persistence. Uh, He'll give you that persistence of a migraine when you follow what he's called you to do. Paul says, I'm writing to you as God's holy people. In the first century, when a young Jewish man reached the age to be married, his family would select an appropriate wife for him. The young man and his father would meet the young woman, and her father would negotiate the bride price, the figurative cost of replacing that daughter. The price was usually very high. With negotiations complete, the custom was for the young man's father to pour a cup of wine and hand it to his son. His son would, in turn, turn to the young woman, lift a cup, hold it out to her, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which I offered to you. In other words, he's saying, I love you. I give my life to you. Will you marry me? The young woman had to choose. She could take the cup, or she could return it. She could answer without saying a word by drinking the cup. Her way of saying, I accept your offer. I give you my life in response. Now you think about what God does to us. He offers this relationship with us. But when we are recipients of that relationship, we in essence say to him, I give you my life. I'm no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. I think about people who also get the greatest blessings in life. They are determined They have that determination that they're going to be a follower of Christ. But there's also this holiness about their lives. And with that holiness comes this insight. When you think about faithful followers of Jesus Christ, Eugene Peterson defines holiness as a long obedience in the same direction. He writes, It is not difficult in our world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel, but it is terribly difficult to sustain that interest. You see, millions of people in our culture make a decision for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian disciples is very slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it's packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes into the garbage heap. There is a great market for religious experience in our world today. There is little enthusiasm for the patience that is needed to acquire virtue. 
little inclination to sign up for the long apprenticeship in which earlier Christians called holiness. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 6, verse 22. But now being made free from sin, I have become a servant of God. Being a servant of God, a servant surrenders his life over to his master. When I think about those who have the biggest blessings in their lives, not only have they determined to be holy, not only have they determined to be having that grit and that determination, but there's one final thing that they have. They are determined to be faithful. They have great faithfulness that produces great faith. Paul put it this way, talking about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. God's Spirit makes us loving, happy, peaceful, patient, kind, good, and faithful. And because we belong to Christ, we have killed off our selfish desires. But don't be conceited or make others jealous by claiming to be better than you are. So there's this sense of being determinedly faithful, but also being humble. I tell the inmates at Indian Creek often, and I tell you the same thing, and I tell myself this time to myself often, if you remain humble, you will never stumble. We stumble when we become filled with pride. Well, I appreciate you listening today. I want to pray for you today that God will fill you with His Spirit and give you the desires of your heart as long as those desires match up with what God wants for your life. So Lord, thank you for being with us today. Fill us with your Spirit so that we may fulfill the purpose that you have for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.